Welcome to the Heart of Leaders podcast, where each week we'll be exploring the frontiers of leadership with those who lead from the heart and put their people first, knowing that ultimately all team accomplishments are driven by people. They know that when they take care of their people, their people will take care of customers, lower costs, and drive customer loyalty and company profitability. These leaders believe that for most companies, culture trumps strategy. And culture starts with how you treat your people and how they treat each other. I'm your host, Rick Barrera, head of faculty for the Heart of Leaders training program in Denver, Colorado, where we teach extraordinary leaders how to build and lead high-performance teams who can consistently deliver exceptional results. Jim Reuter may have been born a heart-led leader. When you meet him, he looks you in the eye, shakes your hand, and is genuinely glad to meet you, regardless of who you are. Jim was an enthusiastic explorer in our Heart of Leaders program in 2015, and during the program, Jim was promoted from EVP to COO, and in February of this year, Jim was promoted to CEO of First Bank, the second largest bank in Colorado, sitting just behind Wells Fargo in total deposits. Recently, they have expanded into Arizona and California. First Bank was named by the Denver Post as one of Colorado's top workplaces six years in a row. Their new slogan is Banking for Good, which we are going to talk about with Jim in just a minute. Jim also sits on the Fed board and was instrumental in the national rollout of the Zelle software that allows individuals to send money to any other individual from the convenience of their phone or laptop without a fee. Most of the major banks have adopted the Zelle platform, so regardless of who you bank with, you're most likely covered. I'm Rick Barrera, your host for the Heart of Leaders podcast. Jim, we're thrilled to have you with us. Rick, thanks for that nice introduction, and and I'm honored and excited to be here. So tell us about your childhood. All right. Well, it's it's a pretty quick story. I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin, a, a small farm. There were four of us boys, and I always joked that that was a good deal for my dad because it was pretty cheap labor for the farm. Um, but, uh, you know, mom and dad were were just great people, uh, provided a great example of how to work, be part of a community. At the end of the day, they were just good, good people, so forever indebted to them. And I was the runt of the litter of the four boys, so I had to dig a little deeper to do the work and, and keep up with my brothers. In fact, my little brother is 6'3", so I got hand-me-up most of my life. <laughs> you grew into him, though. <laughs> yeah, I think it was by, by he was, I was six, he was five, and I think from that point forward, he was bigger than me. So uh, it was pretty obvious. Wow. So how'd you get to Colorado. So I was sitting in my uh, finance class my senior year in co- college and commiserating with a classmate about uh, cold winters in the Midwest. And uh, she said, well, you ought to send my brother a letter with First Bank. And actually, I started with the bank in Palm Springs, the Coachella Valley. We had one location down there. So I sent a letter to him and uh, ended up with a job. So that's how I ended up ultimately getting to Colorado was by uh starting with First Bank in Palm Springs and then transferring here a couple of years into my career. So, Palm Springs, California? Palm Springs, California. Our uh, founder didn't want to bank with a competitor when he wintered in Palm Springs, so he opened a bank out there. That's why we had, <laughs> had a location out there. So. Now we actually have five in that valley, and it's been a great venture for us. So, Yeah. Are you expanding into the rest of California? 
No, you know, Colorado's our main trade area. We have 120 locations and 100 of those are in Colorado and then uh, five in that Coachella Valley of California and then we have 15 in the uh, Phoenix market. So if I were to say where our new venture would be and growth will be most likely in Phoenix along with uh, there's plenty of room for us to grow in Colorado still. Okay, so what do you do for fun? Well, you know, it sounds so stereotypical Colorado, and, and that is I love the outdoors and all things outdoors. So skiing, both alpine and and cross-country, but also hiking, and probably my obsession is with cycling. That's where I find my balance and, and recenter, and an epic day of fun in Colorado is when those activities all uh, include my family, which they often do. So, uh it just sounds like a poster child for Colorado, I know, but uh, that, that's the reality of it. All right. So tell us about your family. I know they mean a lot to you. Yeah, you know, I feel so fortunate. My wife, Diane, we met in college, actually, and uh, now been married 29 years. And, and, you know, time flies when you're having fun. And uh, we have two boys. Our oldest is 24. He's married and has two kids. So I'm a grandpa, and uh, it's been quite a trip. Uh, his son looks exactly like like my son Jake and so a friend of mine jokingly says well when you plant corn you get corn so um, (laughs) that's a very midwest saying very midwest yeah our other son John he's 18 and he just headed off to school of mines here in Golden for electrical engineering so uh, so we just became empty nesters so we're readjusting to who are you and uh, what are we going to do tonight so it's it's been a fun adjustment and what's the most fun thing you've done since you've been an empty nester? Go out for dinner at the drop of a hat when I come home from work versus having to plan it. How's that for... <laughs> and, and we actually are getting our passports updated. We want to get to Iceland. And there's just some trips we want to do now. You know, there's, there's the freedom you have when you're empty nesters. Well, that's great. So who were your mentors? And what did you learn from them? Well, you know, this sounds cliche, but I think, you know, it makes sense. My parents were certainly mentors and taught me, you know, the value of strong work ethic. And, you know, they gave me confidence as an individual, which I think is all of our jobs as as parents. And, you know, at the end of the day, they also said, no matter what you accomplish, being a good person is the real goal in life. And and, uh, so I'd have to say they were certainly mentors. But you know, I've had a, a lot of mentors over the years. In fact, I, I'm one of those that I feel like everybody I interact with is a potential mentor because everyone has strengths. And if you pay attention and are open to it, you can pick up approaches and leadership styles from many different sources. But I'll, I'll highlight a few. Um, I worked for a neighbor growing up because we were great free labor on the home farm. But if I wanted to make any money, I, I needed to work for a neighbor. Um, and uh, I worked for a gentleman that just no matter what happened, uh, he would stay calm. And uh, I thought that was such an amazing quality and and something that I wanted to emulate. And then the I played in concert band in college, actually. I, I went to school for music and switched over to finance. But uh, he was such an amazing leader of bringing the whole group together as a tribe, for lack of a better description. I mean, we would start rehearsals with talking about the news or sports or, you know, anything and everything and very little to do with music. And I figured out over time what he was doing is he was bringing the whole group together because he knew it was a, a group of mixed individuals in terms of what they were majoring in in college and what their areas of focus uh, were going to be. And that if he could get us all together by getting us to relate to each other, we would 
we'd make music, no pun intended. And so I, I really learned the power of, of, you know, bringing a group together. And then I've been fortunate to work for some of the most talented leaders at First Bank, Dave Shop, who was president of the bank in Palm Desert, he taught me customer service. Uh, if he ever beat me to the teller line when there was a line, uh, we would jump up there and help. And if he beat me, I, I was in trouble, but not in a, a mean-spirited way. I just knew I'd let him down because he beat me there. See, he, he taught me how to pay attention to the little things and put the customers first. And then Dennis Barrett, who was CEO for many years of the bank. I'd never seen anybody come to work with more passion. Um, and he was so disciplined and methodical. And he taught me that what you measure is what you move. As a banker, that's certainly a, a strong quality to have. And then there were two other uh, individuals, Bill and Dave. They always impressed me in that you could drop into their office uh, and meet with them on any topic, and they were present. They would drop what they were doing and be in the moment and give you 100% of their undivided attention. And then last but not least, John Eichert, who uh, I succeeded as CEO, he, um, he really is put the word in community uh, when it talks about community banking. Or He just uh, very involved with nonprofits as well as trade associations, and he taught me how important it is uh, for us to be connected to the community uh, not just for business development, but also for your own personal and professional growth. So I know that's a long list, um, but uh, every one of those folks, you know, makes a deposit and and uh, and makes you a better leader. Well, that's, that's a good bunch of learnings, though. So that's the, it's a good list. It's a great list. So um, how many different positions have you held at First Bank? You know, I, I, it's probably so many I can't count them at this point in time. <laughs> I started with the bank as a, a lobby loan officer, and after two years of making marginal loans, no, I'm just kidding. They, um, I actually asked to transfer back to Colorado uh, when Diane and I got married, and so when I came back here, I said I'd like to do anything but work at the headquarters because I really enjoyed being in the bank lobby. So, as one would expect, they assigned me to work at the headquarters. So. Um, I then became very involved with operations, project leadership, information technology, and eventually onto the um, executive committee and leadership group. But you know, throughout those years, everything from managing the call center to wire transfers to information technology. So I really would have a hard time counting it. And you know, in 30 years, I don't think I've done the same thing for more than two or three years at a time. Wow. So, so we've talked a little bit about the values you learned from your parents, but were there others uh, that they taught you that influenced your current leadership style? Yeah, you know, the, the thing that I saw in them every day um, was they really enjoyed what they did. And um, farming is one of those things you wouldn't do it if you didn't enjoy it because it's not always the most lucrative way to make a living. And so, you know, I, I, I've always said you have to have fun at work. If you're not having fun, it's where you're spending a big part of your day, then you should do something different. So I, I feel fortunate I landed in a career where I can check the box of I enjoy it. But they taught me how important that was. They also taught me, you know, grit's a funny word, but um, they taught me how to dig deep. And, you know, you get a year where hail wipes out your crop or the rains don't come when they're supposed to. Working through that and keeping a good attitude. Um, they also taught me compassion versus empathy, I like to say. You know, compassion is you see somebody struggling and you do something to help them. Empathy is, you know, I feel their pain and 
And, uh, you know, that's important, but I think compassion is even better because you do something with that pain or you try to help the person versus just empathize with them. And I think, you know, they would always try to help others, but they wouldn't just commiserate. They're like, well, what are we going to do about it? And so I think that um, that was, you know, one of the qualities and values that they instilled in me. So you said something to me during the course that we've carried on, and that was, you know, about three quarters of the way through the course, you looked at me one day and you said, I'm starting to see a pattern. And I said, what was that? And you said, all these leaders are really comfortable in their own skin. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I'd be glad to. You know, I I think to be a a good leader, you got to be authentic and real. And what does that mean? To me, that's letting others see that, you know, you're human and no different than them. So when you combine that with treating others the same way you'd like to be treated, I think it's pretty powerful. But uh, at the end of the day, we all are more alike than not. And so when you're authentic, it, it just increases everybody's level of trust in in working with you because they know there's no hidden agenda and things are transparent. So yeah, I I think being comfortable in your skin, sometimes my wife is like, you really shared that? I'm like, well, yeah, it happened. And (laughs) I don't have to be perfect. I think sometimes she'd like me to be, try to be a little more perfect in front of a group of people. But I think it's important for people to see you as you are. And, you know, that might mean some people, maybe they won't like you or maybe it won't resonate, but I know what I can sustain doing, and that's being me. And so right. to me, if you're authentic and comfortable in your skin and you people are motivated and they want to work with you, that's sustainable. Anything else is not sustainable. So how does it feel to be at the helm of a bank with the kind of growth that you're experiencing that has such a unique brand? Yeah, well, you know, First thing I'd say is I'm honored. Um, you know, you haven't had a chance to meet the whole team. You've met some folks on this team, but uh, um, I'm lucky to have the opportunity because there's there's tons of talent here. I kind of feel like we're the, you know, that NFL or Major League Baseball team where you know the running back pulls a hamstring and the next guy comes in and they're wondering why you were playing the other guy. Right. Um, so I, I feel honored, you know, and it's fun to be part of a company that has such a strong brand in the community and such a strong reputation. You know, we're a top performing bank. We've been top 10% in almost every measure of performance for a bank, whether it's return on assets, return on equity, or efficiency ratio. So it's pretty exciting to have that opportunity. So tell us about the new Bank for Good slogan. Yeah, you know, this was a fun project. And actually, it kicked off last fall and um, was an idea I was pushing with our ad agency. And This sounds sort of selfish, but I was pretty excited to get the chance to be CEO as it's rolling out because it's something I I really believe in and I think it's just going to be fun to build upon. But, you know, First Bank for 50 plus years has been a a community bank, you know, doing good things for our customers, our communities and employees. And, you know, in fact, we're the largest philanthropic bank in Colorado, and I think we're the second most philanthropic company in Colorado. And what, what, what what does that mean? So this last year, we will have donated uh, north of $4 million to nonprofits as a bank. And we're part of Colorado Gives Day, um, which last year raised $35 million for non- thousands of nonprofits in Colorado in 24 hours. Um, wow. We How'd also all that? serve on... Let's, wait a minute. Wait, wait. We're not going to skip past that. How'd you do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think it was five years ago we started this... 
we worked with Community First Foundation, a nonprofit here in Colorado, to launch what was called Colorado Gives Day. It was an online giving promotion that lasted 24 hours, and we put up a million dollars as a bank as a incentive fund. Uh, so if we were to raise, you know, X million dollars in a day, we would use that million dollars to match, and each nonprofit would get a pro rata share of that incentive fund. And as you can guess, that got the nonprofits pretty fired up and all of their board members and and folks they serve. And so we set a goal five years ago to raise a million dollars in 24 hours. Well, we raised $8 million the first year, and here five years later, last year, it was $35 million. So we're the signature corporate sponsor, and so it's um, our name's all over it. We're the lead, and, and it's just pretty exciting because when you're here in Colorado – uh, leading up to it, you you just get bombarded by the nonprofits for uh, mark your calendars for Colorado Gives Day, and then all the news stations on that 24-hour giving day are promoting it. So pretty exciting. Okay, so now we got to jump to the practical side of this because we have, I'm sure, skeptics listening who are saying, you know, how do you justify spending a million dollars on charity or four million dollars on charity? But you also said you've got the best ratios of anybody in the banking business. So how does all that reconcile? Well, you know, I can bring it back to the banking for good slogan. So, you know, I challenged the ad agency because they really wanted to play up the fact that, um, you know, during the financial crisis, we had record earnings. We didn't make subprime mortgage loans. And, you know, some other banks have been in the news for some practices and things that, uh, you know, we we won't mention any names, but we won't mention any names. Right. That don't, don't look so good, but, um, And, you know, like any, they saw those opportunities and they'd come to us with creative ideas that would, you know, frankly, for lack of a better description, uh, point out the other's failures to lift us up. And we said, that's not how we do things. Um, For one, you know, putting someone else down to lift yourself up, we all know that's a bad practice. And two, every time someone in our industry stubs their toe, we feel that pain too. And so I, I said, I understand what you're trying to do, but can you figure out another way to do it? Uh, and so they came back to us with with uh, some ideas, and finally we settled on, well, let's come up with a tagline that says why we're different or what we do that's different versus um, saying what others have done wrong. And so that's where Banking for Good came from. Uh, they had another one. It was called Bank Like It Matters, and uh, <laughs> we liked that one. Yeah, I like that too. <laughs> yeah, they came up with that one because they were sitting in their office, about 20 of them, and they said, you know, here half of us are banking with some of the large competitors, and these guys are our biggest client now, and why aren't we banking like it matters? We say we don't like those things that are happening, and and I get it. You know, It's inertia, and people are busy, but I didn't like that one in the end because it felt a little more preachy and, and was yeah. like dictating to people, and whereas banking for good is, um, it, it serves a lot of different meanings. One, some people hear it as, you're here for good. You know, you've right. got uh, stability, and others hear the good in the community. So bring all this back to your question. Um, making investments in your communities, you know, one, makes the community stronger. And if the community is stronger, so is the economy, so is the bank. So that's one of the ways we get a return on investment. The other one is, if you look at what millennials in particular really want, they want um, work-life balance, and they want to do business with companies that are green or give back. Well, uh, being a big contributor from a nonprofit perspective and uh, and doing the right thing, if you will, in the community, 
that resonates and and the folks that are most attractive for all of us to go get are millennials at this point in time as a retail bank because you usually don't move banks when you get further into life because you've you've got your bill pay set up and everything but the place we can pick people up is when they're just starting their banking life and so we think it has huge promise there and then last but not least your employees feel pretty good about working for a company uh, that's giving back to the community, and we want to attract the best and brightest. And so uh, having that approach has a return on investment just in the caliber of individuals that decide to join your team and become part of the cause. Awesome. So, Jim, this is fascinating. Can we entice you to come back and talk more about Heartland Leadership? Absolutely. All right. Thank you for joining us today. Sounds good. Have a good day, Rick. Would you like to meet Jim in person and hang out? You can. Just make the decision to join us for the next Heart of Leaders training program in Denver. Call us right now at 858-248-3162 or go to heartofleaderspodcast.com. We believe that Heart of Leaders is a movement started by boomers, accelerated by Gen Xers, and demanded by millennials. To learn more, find us online at heartofleaderspodcast.com where we blog, post articles, and book reviews and respond to your questions. We invite you to join the conversation.